Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SCADcast. I'm Matt Nickley, a SCADcast producer and a SCAD alumni, and I thank you for tuning in. Stanislavski said, Love the art in yourself, not yourself in the art. This humble practice and dedication to one's craft is a lesson alive and well in the celebrated costume designer Anne Crabtree. During the summer of 2018, the SCAD Fash Museum of Fashion and Film in Atlanta proudly exhibited Dressing for Dystopia, a collection of costumes designed by Crabtree for the award-winning Hulu drama The Handmaid's Tale. SCAD was honored to host Crabtree at the exhibition's opening, where she graciously spent time mentoring SCAD students and sat for a conversation with President Paula Wallace. In their discussion, Crabtree opened up about her creative process and how her designs have touched millions throughout the world. Crabtree's costume design displays a richness and accuracy that only an artist of her worldliness and empathy can create. And that vast knowledge and heart truly comes through in her words. From SCADcast, this is On Creativity, a conversation between Paula Wallace and Anne Crabtree. And thank you so much for being here at SCAD and for spending time with our students. They learned so much from you today, and so did I. I was furiously taking notes. You um, were. I, I loved I it. I loved hearing everything. So thank your you. journey has included coming from Kentucky and living in England and New York and L.A. Yes. How have all these different places informed your work and been creative influences? Wow. So you're right. Every single place has informed my work, of course, as a young lady trying to run from Kentucky and all things that I didn't realize were good for me and for my work. I tried to be like urban New Yorker or laid back Coolio Los Angeles girl when in, in essence you can run towards those things that you don't know. But inherently in your work, you will find, I found, that the Kentucky creeps in. You know, the mm. things that you ran from, the things that you really are, are part of your work. And so there's so much of my upbringing in Kentucky uh, that's in The Handmaid's Tale, for sure. Mm. Uh, and certainly in other projects that are really about that kind of rural place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, New York informs my work uh, from my fashion background, mm -hmm. from that kind of glittery street fashion thing that mm. I adore so much. Um, you know, Los Angeles informs my work in the way that uh, there is a very feminine energy in the nature and the hills of Los Angeles. Um, the old school Hollywood glamour will creep in, certainly, usually for the men. I love that kind of <laughs> Hollywood glamour of like the Clark Gables mm -hmm. and, you know, Montgomery Cliffs and that kind of, actually what really creeps in are the, are the Hollywood kids in their real time as who mm -hmm. they were, like they're, they're, Films, they're family films. Mm -hmm. Family films. Yeah. So you studied fashion. What's the difference between fashion and costume? There is none. The end. No, just kidding. <laughs> there, well, I mean, there is. There is. The difference, uh, the approach might be different, right, mm -hmm. to, to being a person in fashion and a person in film. Certainly there are more people to speak to. Yes. in film. There are more opinions in film. Mm -hmm. um, but it depends, right? Because in fashion, you have opinions that happen uh, after the product is made. 
um, there is no difference. And I learned that at a, at a time in New York when I was a fashion stylist, trying to make it in film, people thought it was crazy. They said, no, you can't do both. Mm -hmm. Well, now people do it all the time, mm -hmm. which I wish I could have said that to them back then. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's no difference. What The difference for me is the focus, I guess. Uh, it's very self-indulgent because in fashion, while you might be looking at things like nature or historical moments in time, you know, very specific to the embroidery on your jacket or the round balls of your jacket. Where did those come from? In film, my kind of, I, I sort of use it as horse blinders. In fashion, when I was a student, I was on the streets of New York and I was actually only, my eye was only going to the most beautiful things in my view. Whereas when I started becoming a costume designer in film, I was so excited. It was a very sort of physical, visceral reaction to this happening. And I started looking at the most beautiful homeless person mm -hmm. and the most beautiful, you know, every man on the street. Mm -hmm. Usually the older people were quite intriguing mm -hmm. to me. What it did for me, the only difference and only for myself is that my view is different and the self-indulgence is I get to combine all those things and make mm -hmm. it a mashup. Perhaps fashion does that too, mm -hmm. you know? You were kind enough to share some of your mood boards, which are our students make, but yours are eight feet oh, tall really? and four feet wide. And, you know, I, I loved seeing some of your inspiration and Thank some you. of your thought process uh, that's gotten to the Handmaid's Tale eventually. Yeah. But you've created so many worlds, um, including in The Sopranos and um, oh, yeah. Westworld and, you know, many other of uh, Pan Am. Yes. So how do you create these different worlds? You know what, it, what's interesting to me is that there's no difference to the, you know, big boy, hardcore mafiosos of The Sopranos mm -hmm. uh, than there is to the kind of dainty lady dayness of the of Pan Am. The, the thing is, there's always a masculine feminine to each world. And the thing that I adore, I always fall in love with like, hardcore mafioso mob bosses and rappers, really hardcore rappers. And I think what I fall in love with is that there's this other side that's so feminine. The mafia boys, and I had to really get to know them to mm -hmm. do the research. I had to go to the places where the made men would shop mm -hmm. uh, to, to do my research uh, as a request from David Chase, the creator. Um, the mafia boys, what I love about them is they could kill somebody but they have the most elegant suit on <laughs> and they take such pride mm. in the way that their shirts are made and the elegance of it all. Mm. Uh, it's very interesting, that feminine thing. You know, uh, with Pan Am, same thing. It's how do you make a beautiful visage of a woman, the most perfect form of uh, service, right? Mm -hmm. This kind of fantasy of, of the most beautiful age of flying. Well, what's interesting about Pan Am is all the secret kind of, um, uh, what's the word, couriers that they were for the government. My oh, aunt was one. I didn't know and that. I didn't actually know until doing the research that <laughs> not only was my aunt the same thing. Oh, yes, Pan Am, the steward, that's a real story of women who were utilized by the government uh, for secret information. What could be easier? They're going where nobody else can go. Mm -hmm. Multi-country, most of them. Cover. Perfect cover. <laughs> and most of them were so intelligent um, that they spoke many languages. They came from the best schools. They really handpicked them. Mm -hmm. And my uncle and aunt, that is their story. 
but only via T uh, TWA. So it's funny. It's the same. The arenas are the same, just the, the, the people are different. Yeah. You studied painting in Shakespeare, yes. and at that time you probably had no idea how the influence of color that you learned in painting and the yes. storytelling of Shakespeare would um, end up being such driving forces in your work today. It's so true. I'm, I'm, I'm only laughing because I'm thinking in huge words across my forehead, self-indulgence. <laughs> uh, who studies painting in Shakespeare yeah. but someone who is, is self-involved? And yet, uh, I always was embarrassed that my, my, through way, my through line into costume design was that. Mm -hmm. and not studying costume design. Mm -hmm. Certainly fashion design also informs both those things in The Handmaid's Tale and all my work. What I thought was kind of a detriment and a very uh, unusual, odd way of approaching costume design is actually working out okay. Like I'm realizing <laughs> way late in life that it's helpful because what I'm learning from the folks who work with me whether they're directors or producers or actors, or even the folks you know in wardrobe who work with me, they say, your knowledge base is so vast. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be an archeologist. Mm -hmm. You know, that That's kind of digging mm -hmm. is exactly what you need mm -hmm. to, to character develop, mm -hmm. you know, via research, mm -hmm. to find the bones of something. Yes. That knowledge of the love of language in Shakespeare and the kind of intellect and humor that he had, that has still mm -hmm. living mm -hmm. in his words, is so important and essential to story building. Mm -hmm. That exactly, the knowledge of color and the obsession with it, I wouldn't have been hired on Handmaid's Tale. There's a million other people who could do that. Mm -hmm. But I am such a bizarre control freak with palette. Mm -hmm. You know, that I've been told not that's the reason, but that that was so one of the reasons that this kind of insistence on the exact right color mm -hmm. to highlight Alexis Bledel's eyes, mm -hmm. you know, that perfect. kind of thing. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And I read that Reed Morano showed you a photograph of a maple leaf against a blue sky. Yes. And that energy of the two colors really um, translated into... The, some of the costumes that you created. Absolutely, Paula. And we actually have that exact photo with the exact Pantone uh, swatches here at oh, SCAD okay. because I'm such a neo-Ludite. I don't know how to, you know, translate that over and over um, for, for another season. And so I threw everything in a box thank God, in a weird way. So you get the original thing that people can touch and see and understand Amazing. that that was, you know, the thing that I actually put on Reed's desk. What a treasure. What a treasure. <laughs> and then what a pack rat at the same time. Like, is it a detriment or a good thing? <laughs> but it's a good thing because mm -hmm. then people can actually, what I was thinking when sending everything was that people can actually understand the reality of that moment of this is the red, this is the teal. Yeah, and it, and it came from nature, which I, I'm so grateful that that Reed had that same kind of impetus and vision mm -hmm. that these are elements that you find in the, in, in the world. They are born that way out of nature. They're pure. Mm -hmm. Let's the use that. Visual richness of what you've created is just, you know, incomparable. It's beautiful. Thank you. My God. What's it like to work with a director? It's hideous. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. What's it like to work with a director? I mean, you know, listen, I don't want to, to 
talk big about myself, but I have known to be a designer who doesn't speak the right language of costume design. Probably the, I didn't have the education. You know, I, I, my brain just inherently thinks more like a director or a DP. Mm -hmm. And so the imagery you often see on my boards, or if I'm sending, I tend to do these really strange to me, uh, visual books. And a lot of it is I have a horrible short-term memory. So in order to remember all of that, mm -hmm. I do these horizontal books that follow along with the script. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I sent to Daniel Wilson. It's something mm -hmm. I sent to Margaret Atwood. I send them to directors and they keep them, they hoard mm -hmm. them. <laughs> Old school style on mm -hmm. paper, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't know how to put it in a, in a format on the computer, mm -hmm. truth. But you know, they, the directors love working with me, most of them. Mm -hmm. They do find I'm a control freak. They think <laughs> I'm really over opinionated, <laughs> overly opinionated, but I'm trying to help them. Yeah. You know, sincerely, every egotistical artist says that. But I, um, I think like them, and so that so that the the learning of languages doesn't have to happen. I'm already speaking their language, mm -hmm. and you know, this little little big secret is that I always wanted to be a director. I never thought I was going to be a costume designer. You know, I always thought I would be a person making documentaries. I'm headed in that direction. I'll probably never leave costume design because I actually love it, mm -hmm. but. Um, I want to control it all, Paula. Yeah, so I'm all. sorry. <laughs> you can, you can do With all. documentaries, you can't. You don't need a mm -hmm. costume designer. You don't, the, th the thing that I love the most is what I don't need myself for. It's very interesting, mm. right? How's that for <laughs> Zen? It's kind of crazy. Yeah. What are some of the sim of the sim What are some of the symbolic details that you've incorporated into the costumes via the accessories or um, right. other aspects for the Handmaid's Tale or mm -hmm. any Handmaid's anywhere? Tale. Handmaid's Tale. So what's interesting about the Handmaid's Tale is, you know, the elements. I have to actually throw it all into the clothing. Because I made up these Anne Crabtree rules for living in Gilead, mm -hmm. for better or for worse, sometimes for worse, uh, because I knew that we had to create a, a construct of a society or else it would just be a dress or else it would just be a cloak or else it would just be a period piece that happened long ago. So I, I am crazy, uh, impulsive, obsessive compulsive. That's what I am. Uh, I created a whole language from Latin in one night because I wanted the writers and the directors and the actors and the ADs on set. You know, I'm creating clothes. Mm -hmm. I'm creating that dress, that cloak, those those boot covers mm -hmm. known as spats, but I didn't want to have the usual word for it. It must be a Tourette's problem. But I, <laughs> but I in one night, created out from Latin the verbiage for the clothing of Gilead. Mm -hmm. And so what I learned, even while trying to put accessories on or, or details on the clothing, mm -hmm. it started to be mm -hmm. too costumey. It started mm -hmm. to be too period. Mm -hmm. So actually you will not find accessories per se, like mm -hmm. a necklace, mm -hmm. uh, in the world of Gilead. You'll find them in the world before, mm -hmm. the time before known mm -hmm. as America. But what you will find in lieu of accessories are tiny moments of real estate on the body mm -hmm. where uh, you find a little bit of extra. Yeah. Like what you said about the sleevelets mm -hmm. in the exhibition, those came about because the real estate from here to here became quite sexual, oddly. Mm -hmm. When was a wrist sexual? Maybe back in the 17th <laughs> century, right? But it's sexual again, mm -hmm. <laughs> Gilead in the future, because you don't see skin. 
you don't see hair in Gilead. And so that's an accessory. Mm-hmm. Everybody has their head covered. Yeah, I was wondering about that with the triple coverings of the head. So yeah. you've got the bonnet, you've got the wings, and then you have the cloak. The cloak. Yeah. You know, a lot of that comes from an innate piousness and energy of don't show your femininity via hair as many religions do have. Um, It's also, um, we don't want to see as commanders, Mm -hmm. we, the we in my brain, that's Mm -hmm. creepy. Uh, We don't want to allow the individual to happen beyond being a female. Mm -hmm. And also as an industrial design point, it's how do you make a world where folks are staying warm, Mm -hmm. you know, um, are kept from the elements of snow and rain mm-hmm. via, you know, headgear mm-hmm. because they have to last throughout all seasons in the faux mm-hmm. fictitious Cambridge that we're living in. Yes. Mm-hmm. So there is an accessories, but there's other things, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking mainly of the shoes and the spats, but, you know, um, but also just oh. the headgear. The music has played an important role in your inspiration for yes, your ma'am. work. Yeah, music. It's funny, and it's the thing I, I really do forget from project to project. And it's it's a hideous place to be, but I find that uh, the drying up of creative <laughs> brain space happens at the start of every job, at the start of every new concept like the colonies mm-hmm. that folks will see here. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and I panic not knowing where to turn. It's not the, let me just sketch this. It's not the, let me go look at what I've done before clothing-wise. What I've learned is to use a trigger that comes from someplace else, inspiration-wise. I am a horrific cello player. I'm the worst. I call everything punk because I sound bad. But uh, if I find strings and you know cellos, especially cello or violin or bass uh, with no words, I'm pretty much in. Don't ask me why I can't remember that. I'd probably be like further along in my process. If I could just remember, that's going to happen. And so, you know, music is so important. I like to have no words, um, no people. And, you know, costume design for me is very similar to writing. It's very similar to painting. It's very Mm -hmm. similar to composing music, I, I think, it's, it's just a very alone place to be, mm-hmm. to have that purity of thought and purity of design, to have a language that's very um, understood when someone as far removed as a viewer seeing it, hopefully not on their phone uh, or iPad, but maybe, mm-hmm. you know, wherever they are in the world, looking at a handmaid's tale end result, they'll feel that, uh, artistic impulse that happened when I was alone. And usually the means into the design of someone as a character is through the emotion of music. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because it's something I can't touch. So it's very uh, alien, mm-hmm. yeah, that descends upon me and then through, through me to the clothing. It's crept into everything. It is, mm-hmm. it is, yeah. Walking through the exhibition, Dressing for Dystopia, I had kind of a Nathaniel Hawthorne, Hester Prynne uh, moment with thinking about how she embroidered beautifully her scarlet letter. Yes. And it it kind of reminded me of what you're doing with um, this story in the future times. 
You are the first person to say that to me, and you are the winner of my Lifetime Achievement Woo! Award <laughs> for understanding that. That is so crazy because I have always referred to myself as Hester Prynne, no mm. lie. And I love that whole story. Mm-hmm. I saw uh, the film, I can't remember when, but I, oh yes, sorry. I, I used to put an A as a joke for Anne and oh. her. Um, you know, I, I uh, adulterer. Mm-hmm. There's something about that that is so macabre mm-hmm. and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually the way I laugh, mm-hmm. and uh, it Sounds was revolutionary, too. huge, mm-hmm. and it had such an impact on me as a film and as a story. I love it that you have felt that. Mm-hmm. I certainly said it over and over too many times. Uh, season one, designing for The Handmaids. It's odd that no one else has ever said it but you. I love you for that, <laughs> uh, and I've forgotten what you asked me. <laughs> You you were saying you felt that. You felt felt that that when looking at the handmaids. It's so interesting. So there's something about red. Because you made it beautiful. You've made their garments beautiful. Yeah. And um, and you're fulfilling the story, but you've made the garments beautiful. Good point. So thank you. So that's a very subtle thing. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is my absolute abhorrence at having a man control a world. As an artist, I cannot separate myself from the fictitiousness of it all. Isn't that strange? Mm-hmm. Written by a woman, actually. Let's talk about the truth. Yes, Margaret Atwood. Right. It's, yes. It came from mm-hmm. her. But there's something about me where I know I'm supposed to create something for a handmaid, let's say the handmaids, that's supposed to be a prison uniform mm-hmm. and is supposed to be a kind of... Uh, for lack of a better word, kind of house with locks around their body. Mm. What I do as an empathetic gesture to all women who are handmaids metaphorically or in the story is to give them beauty, mm-hmm. you know? And it's really something that, thank God it worked because I thought, am I going to get in trouble for this? You know, the only criticism I received, so you're the only person beyond uh, Hulu MGM right? The studio always gives you notes of what you're doing wrong, usually weekly, sometimes daily as they're, oh, yeah, it's like critique every day, honey. It never leaves. Critique class never leaves from school to (laughs) life. But the only one and only note I received, they actually didn't tell me, they told Bruce uh, Miller, the show's creator was, all the handmaids, they look so beautiful. You know, we need to start hiring women of all shapes and sizes for those dresses because it's too perfect. How is it so perfect? And Bruce laughed. Thank God. You know, he didn't throw me under the bus. He's my brother. He was like, okay, you win. You noticed. But what Anne wanted to do was to find a garment that looked good on every shape, every color. And it's because of me. It's an ego thing, too. It's like I'm this sort of mixed race color. I'm a real woman size. That dress came from me in the 80s, being a student at FIT, mm-hmm. didn't have the means to keep changing clothes. Mm-hmm. So I had those jersey dresses from the 80s that came in like all purple, all teal. You could roll them up. Could roll them up, mm-hmm. all black. And you would throw a scarf on or mm-hmm. a beautiful necklace. Mm-hmm. That dress, the bones of that dress, the handmaid's dress, is that dress of wow. me at 21 in New mm-hmm. York City. And I got called out for it. <laughs> but then they were like, oh, we love that. Don't change it. Thank God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you threw in an OB every now and then. I and you did. Threw in, you I know, did. A few other things. I did. But, yeah. I changed it up. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you also kind of act as a therapist for the actors in preparing them 
to really assume these roles, sometimes, you know, very daunting roles. Yes. For better or for worse. It's not something they asked me to do. So I hope it's I'm never overstepping. I can't help it. I can't help it. So what I what I see and it even happened with uh, Bradley Whitford, who I can say now is a part of the show. It happened with Marissa Tomei. It it certainly happened with Joseph Fiennes, Mm -hmm. you know, and Dowd, people who are so seasoned Uh, on anything I do. I always feel like the mother. Isn't that funny? And and I always want the actor, the directors, the DP to feel nurtured and feel like they're in a safe space of pure creativity. I want you to come in, Paula, as a handmaid and walk into the office and see the visuals and hear the music before you put on the clothes. Because I want what you trans... It's a bit selfish of me. Because what I want to have happen when you have the clothing on finally and the crazy headgear and you face my camera and I take a picture of you and send it to the director who then shows maybe Hulu, maybe not, is they already see the act. They already see the character. They don't mm-hmm. see Paula, the actress. Mm. They feel that they're looking, they're, you know, TV, our lifelines are so, our lifetimes and constructs are so short mm-hmm. and so immediate now in TV, that you have to sell that indirectly or or directly to the world that this Paula is the handmaid in seconds. You have time for nothing else. So what I do, albeit selfishly, is to coddle and nurture and say, come here into Gilead. Mm -hmm. I'm teasing you. You don't Mm -hmm. even know. You're not even aware because you're just hearing a beautiful song while I'm photographing you. You're doing all the work. You're doing all the heavy lifting. I'm just helping you with the right clothes, music, sound, visuals, to go deeply in so that you can do your best work. That's my strange form of therapy, I guess. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. You told the students something really beautiful today. Um, You said, you make it from your soul, but others think you made it for them. Yes. Where's your box of Kleenex? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to cry. Uh, I did say that, didn't I? I? I think it's really true. I think I think the most surprising uh, outcome of this kind of work is that as an artist, you think you're creating a painting uh, as an expression of everything you've been through, okay? Whatever that theme is, whatever that end result is that catharsis that you're aching for as a creator, you think that's just for you because it's personal. Mm -hmm. You're trying to work through something Mm -hmm. deep, dark, amazing, happy, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, you're you're trying to do it for you so you can get on to the next level Mm -hmm. evolution wise, right? But what's the most beautiful thing that's been happening while, while, you know, going around the country and meeting people, um, from everywhere. At the UN, I even had people, women, coming up to me and saying the most beautiful things, like, how did you know? How did you know, right? Or recently, a woman from Iran sent me photos of the revolution, 79, Mm -hmm. and said, were you thinking of us? Mm -hmm. You know, Another woman, you know, just at another, at a Vogue event, Mm -hmm. happened to to be around or at the Paley Center, someone just happens to stay around to Mm -hmm. ask the question question. because they think, which is so beautiful and actually terrifying as a responsibility that you've actually taken something to speak only to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that happens. 
because what I'm doing is so personal. I'm, I'm just elated that it happens. And to me, that's what artists do. Mm-hmm. That's what designers do. You are creating something be- out of pure, pure heart mm-hmm. and pure, pure energy and mind to express yourself. If you're lucky, you can open up the channels to be aware that it's really not about you. It's about your ancestors who've gone through something. It's mm-hmm. about whatever, whoever you believe in, working mm-hmm. through you as a channel to express something bigger. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you let go of ego and just focus on the pure pureness of designing, mm-hmm. you can still speak for yourself, but there will be others who are... It resonates with. Yeah, who are touched by it in some way mm-hmm. and get something bigger out of the... The story we're telling. It's very, yeah. If you're lucky. Very profound. <laughs> I've been very lucky. Very profound. Thank, Thank you. you. What a day we've had with you, Anne Crabtree. Thank you so much for being here at SCAD, for your beautiful exhibition that you've brought to SCAD Bash, and for spending time with our students in a master Thank class. You. Thank you, Paula. It's, it's been actually a very beautiful learning lesson for me. I've loved it, and uh, I can't believe it. I really, this is my first museum exhibition ever. It's glorious. I'm, it's glorious. I am over, overwhelmed by it in the most beautiful ways. And I, I do not take it lightly as an artist who always wanted to be somewhere with my work. The fact that it's here at SCAD, the fact that it's in the South, mm-hmm. you know, all of that is not lost on me. That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did, and we thank Anne Crabtree for being a friend to SCAD and for working with our students. Coming up for Anne Crabtree, you can see her designs in the D. Rees film adaptation of Joan Didion's The Last Thing He Wanted. The film stars Anne Hathaway, Ben Affleck, and Willem Dafoe, and will be released in early 2020. Crabtree is also part of the traveling exhibition, Designs for Different Futures. The exhibition is currently at the Philadelphia Museum of Art and will travel to the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis and the Art Institute of Chicago. And of course, look out for season four of The Handmaid's Tale, launching sometime in 2020. This has been On Creativity, a series of SCADcast. SCADcast is executive produced by SCAD president and founder Paula Wallace co-produced by myself and Sarah Burtness, with original music by SCAD alumnus George Lovett. SCADcast is the official podcast of the Savannah College of Art and Design, with locations in Atlanta and Savannah, Georgia, Lacoste, France, Hong Kong, and online via SCAD eLearning. SCAD is the preeminent source of knowledge in the arts, design, and creative entrepreneurialism. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.